Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup to nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of On the Side with yours truly, Jackie London. I am so happy to be here with you. I hope you're having a moment to get outside to enjoy a little bit of spring. Um, I know it's been kind of all over the place weather-wise, at least here on the East Coast, but hopefully you're getting outside, you're getting that vitamin D, and you're listening to this podcast because there's a great one in store for you today. I had the chance to chat with Dr. Will Bolsowitz. He is a board-certified internal medicine physician, as well as a gastroenterologist. And we had the most fascinating conversation. We talked about all things gut health. And of course, in this case, it's the the real gut health, the evidence-based gut health, rather than um, some of the ways that gut health has been talked about both on social media and in, I don't know about you, but I am seeing these kind of like preposterous gut health claims on all types of product packaging and on beverages. I've been posting a lot of this on social media. So if you are not following me, please check it out at Jacqueline London RD. I'm definitely not pleased with the amount of people claiming that apple cider vinegar is a prebiotic, which really makes no sense. Anyway, we'll get into that at another point in time. But for now, I want you to enjoy this conversation with Dr. B. He has a new cookbook coming out in May. It's called The Fiber-Fueled Cookbook. And his first book, The Fiber-Fueled, is a New York Times bestseller. We talked about the process of writing the book, of getting these recipes developed. He worked with a dietitian to get the recipes developed. Um, and I had the chance to actually check out an early edition of the book and it just really was so practical, um, so filled with really realistic tips. He talks about different types of elimination diets to solve for food intolerances. He talks about his process for working with patients who, um, who are experiencing some GI symptoms and aren't really sure what the cause is. He also talks about how certain symptoms may actually feel like like they're manifesting as symptoms of a gut health issue, but we don't necessarily notice them that way. Um, it's really interesting. I think you're going to love it. He also made this incredible analogy that really blew my mind about the rehabbing process of our body's own GI tract and how um, any one of us who has ever had any sort of gut-related issue, anyone who is suffering from inflammatory bowel disease, IBS, celiac disease, how anyone can can kind of take this more empowered step toward making choices that both feel better right now and also help us feel better in the future. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Dr. Will Bolsowitz, you're going to find him, I think, 
rather engaging. So enjoy the episode. Of course, you could always let me know what you think by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, please subscribe, rate and review. You know I'm giving you that virtual hug and a kiss just through this microphone right now. All right, guys, enjoy. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. Okay, guys, so today's question is a great one. It's, I feel like I'm getting lots of different and sometimes conflicting information from different wellness influencers I follow on TikTok or Instagram. Do you have any advice for knowing what's legit versus not when it comes to influencer marketing? Such a good question. Okay, let's start from the top here. All right. (laughs) So first of all, information sources that I would say, you know, to proceed with caution around are anyone, any entity, any brand that that exhibits the following traits. This is what I would often consider to be a kind of red or sometimes yellow, but often red flag. They're expensive, right? They're talking about a product that's kind of expensive. That automatically is is a little bit fear-mongering to me because I would say that the most you know, affordable, the most budget-friendly thing that any one of us could possibly do to take steps to move um, the needle in our own personal well-being is to eat more vegetables and to move our tushies more often. So in any capacity that something is telling you to that you really need something extremely out of budget in order to do that, there may there are often better options. Um, if If you know that there doesn't seem to be much science to back up the benefit of using a product that right there, you know, if you know, but be- if you know that you know better, <laughs> then that, of course, is a red flag. Um, also, misuse of terminology, right? Like a lot of the time I'll see, and I know we've talked about this on other episodes, like the guilt-free or the skinny, right? Like that's really often a red flag for me just right there because what uh, what are they trying to market? Right? Are they, is this a weight loss promise that has actual no bearing on the rest of your day, the rest of your meals, how you live, how you behave? Right? Like, who who are they to say skinny or or guilt free? Um, and then you know, anytime that something just doesn't seem necessarily necessary for you to take action in your life, right? Like those are all right there red flags. In any way, shape, or form. I often encourage people to think about influencer marketing in the following way, which is to ask yourself, is this post, is this article, product, is this thing that a person is touting, uh, is that making it easier, more inspiring, helpful, fun for me to eat more produce or for me to move my tush? And if the answer to that question is yes, then absolutely, I'd say keep following that person, right? Because in any way that something feels motivational to you, there's no one thing or one way or one person that all of us are going to uniquely respond to, right? We're each going to respond differently. So if anything feels like it feels tangible, relatable, and actionable to you, then absolutely keep it. The rest of it, I think we got to get rid of. We got to unfollow. We got to hit that unfollow button, right? So So just to give a little bit more context to what I just said, anyone or anything who promotes a product with a health promise, that would be a place to start the unfollowing process, right? Like if you think about it just in terms of common sense, like let's leave the science out there for a second. There's a time-honored saying that goes, the only thing that's guaranteed in life is that there are no guarantees. (laughs) And that too applies to how scientists feel about science. Okay, so I'm bringing the science back in. If a product is making promises or guarantees, or if it's using the word proven, promise, or 
will definitively do X thing for you. That's when I say abort the mission, right? Like if you work in any peer-reviewed area of study, you are hyper-conscious of using those words because it's rare to find a specific and direct link in terms of one product, one solution, one program, and a direct health outcome. We just can't guarantee that kind of thing, right? Because we don't know that one thing will definitively work for your DNA. Even if it was proven in one clinical trial that it happened to work, that doesn't necessarily take into account your lifestyle and all of the other things that go into who you are and what you do in the course of a day, a week, a year, right? So I always think that starting with the, you know, getting rid of products or people or things that have a promise or a proven attached to them is often easily the the most sweeping but also the the most sort of general but also very specific place to start another thing that i would automatically rid yourself of free yourself from rather <laughs> is dietary supplements and weight loss pills okay if you're following any of these i feel like i mean a little 2000 and late Am I right? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just teasing you, Sally. Okay. Real talk, you don't need these. Unless you're taking a dietary supplement like choline, DHA, EPA, vitamin D, those are things that are commonly available to you. Talk to your physician about accessing these if you know that you're deficient or if you know you don't eat very much seafood or eggs, right? Like lots of people are um, often deficient in some of these, these nutrients. So that's why I recommend these uh, or I name these above others because I think, you you know, there's no, there's really no harm in you taking a multivitamin so long as you are buying a product that has, um, that is going to give you the calcium and vitamin D that you need and the EPA and DHA, the fish oil that you need as well. So if you can find that in one, great. And if you can't, then you can find them in more than one product. I don't often recommend these because I, I would much more like to see you having seafood at least two times a week. But if that just feels just not tenable for you and, and your current day-to-day, -day, then I understand that, okay? So just make sure that you're looking for ones that are either prescribed by your physician or they're ones that have a seal on there that tells you that they've been tested by a third party, right? You want to look for that third-party verification to know that you're taking something that actually has what it says it has in it because dietary supplements aren't overseen by the FDA. Okay, the last one on this list are any people, products, websites, influencers who just for any reason whatsoever or for no reason at all make you feel bad about yourself. Even if it's, even if you have no idea why it's making you feel bad, unfollow. And I say that because, you know, there's lots of times that people and sources of information have found their way into your feed and stayed well past their welcome, right? Like a lot of us, if you're anywhere around my age of 35, like you've been on social media a long time. Those people may have those things come into your life. You hit follow and you're like, what is this doing here? And why does it make me feel so shitty? It doesn't matter why it makes you feel shitty, Roberta. It's just that you're not necessarily, you don't have to be so keen on beating yourself up before you get out of bed in the morning just because you relish feeling sorry for yourself while scrolling on Instagram, right? Like sometimes they can just lead you down that path for no reason at all. So just take a couple minutes a day this week to go through each of your accounts, each of the social media networks that you have, email newsletters, and just hit unfollow, block from newsfeed, unsubscribe from the folks and the sources that you just can't unsee. Honestly, guys, if we've learned anything recently, life's too fucking short for low dose, consistent hits of emotional stress delivered to you via newsfeed. Okay. So that's where I would say, let's take a moment to start. Anything that's giving you a proven or a promise, 
any dietary supplement or God forbid weight loss pill or magic trick that's something that just seems like it's gonna, you know, change your life by taking a pill or buying some really expensive, you know, waist trainer, some shit like that, right? Get rid of it. And then anything that just makes you feel bad about yourself for no reason at all, get rid of that too. Okay. So I hope that helps just give you a place to start. In general, getting information from sources that you trust can be difficult, but you're often gonna be in better hands when you have a, a sort of cleaned up little news feed to work with, okay? So let's leave it there for today. As always, any questions, feel free to DM me at Jacqueline London RD. That's on Instagram, so you will have to open that app again, but that's okay because you already know that I'm a trusted source of information, at least on nutrition, wellness, self-care, all of that good stuff. I mean, I'm not the best source of information on, let's say, I don't know, Hollywood gossip, celebrity gossip. I don't, I don't feel like I don't know enough to speak with authority on that, but you already know that guys. Okay. So just DM me with your nutrition questions and listen for your answer on an upcoming episode of On the Side. I can't wait to hear from you. This is a beyond treat. It's a beyond treat. And I got to kick off. I do want to kick off our interview today on a somewhat non-traditional note, which is to say, do you be honest with me? (laughs) Okay. All right. Where are we going? (laughs) Do you have a sourdough starter? And if so, how did you during the pandemic? Did you have it during? Did it start during the pandemic? Did you have one before? What's going on with a set? What's going on in your sourdough starter world? Is that, oh, is that a gosh. thing for you? Well, okay. This is the thing where I'm going to come, I'm just going to come out with complete brutal honesty right out the bat so that you that. know from this love point that. going forward. Thank yeah. Th- at this point, go, from this point going forward, you can take it or you can leave it, but at least you know I'm trying to be honest with you. So um, I've, I am a failed sourdough st- starter father. Um, I appreciate that so much. I, I really do. Same. I have tried multiple times and I'm not really sure. I have some ideas actually about what I've done wrong. So I've been consulting recently with Vanessa Kimball, who's the founder of the sourdough school. Okay. And <laughs> I needed, I needed like a you know, professional consult. You brought in consult. the big guns, right? You brought in the big yeah. guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I needed a professional consult to help me out. Yeah. And, you know, cause the, the issue is that like, I care about the starter. Like I care, like I really, I really want you to do well. I want you to thrive and grow and turn into the most beautiful loaf. I want you to live your best loaf life. Really? (laughs) I mean, I just want you bubbly and effervescent and just so happy, but unfortunately I must be like a neglectful father and I'm just (laughs) not helping you to get to where you need to be. And so um, I've tried and I'm still working on it. You know what? That's beautiful. And I really, and I appreciate that honesty. All right. So, so for real. Okay. So for real now, give us, here's where, here's where I really want to get into it. Give us a day in the life of you, Dr. B. Right now you've got a book coming out, which is very exciting and amazing. And it's part two of Fiber Fueled. It's the Fiber Fueled cookbook. What have you been up to? What are you doing? What's on your mind? What What are you thinking about? Go. So I don't know if you realize this. In my first book, I I made a huge mistake. And anyone who's read my first book, Fiber Fueled, um, you will find this, I believe, in the introduction or actually perhaps in chapter one. But I literally wrote in a sentence, last time I checked. So I was talking about how our life expectancy has actually started to decline. Oh, no. 
Okay. So in the United States, our life expectancy went down three years in a row. And the last time that that happened was, I think, 1918 or 1919, one of the two, oh, and which was <laughs> in the middle of the greatest flu pandemic ever and simultaneously World War One. And so I literally wrote in my book, I was like, you know, last time I checked, we weren't in a pandemic or a global war. And I'm like, oh I God. feel so stupid. <laughs> How many times have you, is that one of those things that then like that kind of comes back to haunt you? Like you start thinking about the set, like the second you hear the word pandemic on the news in like February, January, 2020, you're like, oh no, <laughs> that didn't age well. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know like what that means. I don't consider myself to have any predictive future powers. I realize there are some people in the health space that like claim that they can see the future. That's not me. I'm just a doctor. I'm just trying to read some research and I really don't know what happened there. So I apologize. I really, I mean, we, we, Dr. V, this is why I feel like we really just need more people like you. We need more people who are willing to say things like that, that are just like, okay, you know, we, we, we're all doing the best with what we have, which is the data that's available to us. We try to use the highest quality data, but we also try to, if you're a practitioner of any kind, you're trying to apply that to real life. And sometimes you're going to get it right. And sometimes you're going to miss, but it's okay to miss as long as you say so. You know what I, like, I feel like that's, that's something totally missing from our current convo about everything. I totally agree with you, Jackie. And I think the part of I think part of the issue that we that we have these days that I um, I have a problem with is that I feel like we we are being forced to, or at least what I see is a lot of people who are planting their flag, yeah, and then they're just going to defend, like they're basically going to dig a trench and they're going to defend that place until the end of time. And it's like science evolves, right? And part, and part of being humble is recognizing that you are not going to get it right. Like that you're going to have to revise and improve yourself. And so why are we making it almost like it's wrong to do that? That doesn't make sense. We need to constantly strive to do a little bit better. That's what being uh, an adult and trying to grow is all about. Right. Especially in when it comes to nutrition science, not only is it always evolving, but there, but because there's no one size fits all, there's also always going to be things that absolutely do not work for one person that might work really well for somebody else. And that can be so can be true of a meal. It can be true of a food. It can be true of a nutrient. Like there's lots of different ways to kind of slice it. But all right, Dr. B, just to bring us back, just to bring us back to gut health for a second. Tell us, yeah. tell us more about it. Let's start with that. Let's get crazy. Yeah. That's what this place is here for. That's what this podcast Perfect. is here for. It's a safe space. I love it. I love it. So, um, all right. So what's interesting is that all external structures are covered in microbes and every living creature on this planet either has a microbiome or is the microbiome. So, um, you know, like not just humans, but obviously our pets, like your dog has a microbiome, but like, so do plants. You have a plant in the corner, assuming it's not plastic and you've been watering it at that plant. Yes, I got it. <laughs> We're not going to go there, but the plants have a microbiome is what is, is the key point. So, um, and it's just, they cover everything, right? Like our entire planet, if we had a microscope and we walked around with this microscope, we would be shocked at this world that exists that we don't even see because we don't have the right tools, meaning the naked eye to actually see it. But like th- there are these communities that are just everywhere. And they've been there since the beginning of time. These are the first creatures that existed on this planet. And they've been a part of us as humans since the very beginning. You know, you go back three plus million years of human evolution, every 
single minute that humans have existed, mm. it has been in tandem with our microbiome. Mm. So, and they cover all external structures. So, and this this is the part where it gets very bizarre and weird, uh, as if it's not weird enough already, which is that, so they cover us from the top of our head to the tip of our toes. They're on our skin, no surprise. They're in our nose and our mouth inside a woman's vagina. Like there's a specialized microbiome for all of these places. But your gut is where they are concentrated the most. Mm. And even though that's the depths of your bowels, like the deepest, darkest part of your body, yeah, it's actually technically outside of your body because it's a hollow tube that starts at your mouth and it's continuous all the way down to your bottom. Yeah. Your mouth is outside your body. Your bottom is outside oh, your so body. True. And so everything true. in between. Yeah. So I was so I in full and not to disrupt you, but like in full in full transparency, when I read this, I was like, okay, so I told I feel like I say this all the time, which is like your GI tract starts in your mouth and people look at you like ew. You know, like <laughs> there's this assumption that like, like what do you mean gross like don't say that and i'm like and I, i'm like well it's just the truth i mean i am gonna say it like i'm just gonna keep saying it. but the, the <laughs> but when i read this i was like but it's a living organism outside your body and then now now you've fully gelled this for me i have even more reason to keep saying this yes now i understand what you mean by that that it lives outside of your body but also it takes it protect I, I would also say that it's almost like it's like your body's entire bodyguard it's like your immune system's bodyguard by nature of the fact that it sort of lives outside of your body right oh totally yeah so so the i mean if you think about it this is the place where we actually interact with the outside world um there's almost like an exchange that's taking place where the the things that we choose to put into our mouth and swallow i mean basically meaning food beverages but the, the things that we choose to send down there they will come into contact with these gut microbes um, there's 38 trillion of them. And these 38 trillion microbes will actually do work on whatever it is that we choose. So like we've seen where they're actually, they play a critical role in like, for example, clearing um, toxic substances or activating certain drugs that we take. Or many people have heard of polyphenols like resveratrol. Resveratrol is being uh, touted as this longevity polyphenol mm -hmm. and you'll find it in red wine but you'll also find it in red grapes and in peanuts and the important thing for people to understand is that resveratrol frankly would not have any value as a human without our microbes so resveratrol actually gets activated by the gut microbes so that we can get the benefits from it so they're they're completely involved in um, all things digestion but from this central place where this, this exchange with the environment is taking place, they also are completely intertwined and in contact with our immune system, our metabolism, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, and even the expression of our genetic code. Mm. So it's quite, I mean, frankly, wild and absurd to consider that we just discovered a new organ. Like that's right. literally where we are. Right. We just discovered a new organ and this organ is perhaps the most important part of human health. And further, this organ is outside your body right. and not even human. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, what's so what's so interesting, every product now is saying things like supports gut health or prebiotic support or 
promotes a healthy right. gut. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that and where you think that comes from. And also in the context of what you just said, which is that we now know that this is almost like an entirely new organ that we've discovered in humans is the gut microbiome. But how, like, where are we on the continuum of the current research landscape? Because it feels like we know tons more than we ever did, but also like we have a little while to go before we can start asking the FDA to regulate claims like supports a healthy gut on a beverage, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that what what this requires is I, I think that increasingly it, there is a responsibility for us as individuals to become informed and empowered consumers. Totally. In everything in everything that we do. Um, because the world exists with direct to consumer marketing that used to be like, you know, uh, a Sunday morning, like public television right. program with a guy selling you like a, you know, some sort of weird set of knives right. or something. <laughs> right. Um, right. I, I, you know yes. what I'm talking about, but like, that's what it used to be. But now with the internet and with Instagram and Facebook and all these things, all these tools, people have actually quite powerful ways to like, phys- like quickly identify where you are, who you are, and whether or not you're going to buy their product. And let me just put it in front of you and try to um, dangle it in a way where it's almost like you're a fish and they're, they got a worm right. on a hook for you. Right. So, um, and I think, you know, as, as a part of that, it, when it comes to the food space, we have seen this pattern before. This is, this is not new. And we just have to see that this is coming. So when something gets trendy and hot, we should 110% expect the food industry to try to monetize that for themselves. 100% and double down on it. And double down on it and, <laughs> yes. and, 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 and market the heck out of it and right. also try to position themselves in alignment with it as if like they're, you know, like something that's going to radically transform your life. And guess what? That's their... Like that, yes. if they're the CEO of a company, that's the, res- that's the responsibility. Them. They're just trying to make right. money, right? Right. right? But the problem is, so like their their business is not human health, yeah. Right. Their business is your dollars, right? And so, and we've seen this where, like, let's think about, for example, you know, gluten free became trendy in the mid 2010s, a series of books, and gluten free diets used to be healthy. And then we started making gluten-free junk food. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, paleo became trendy. Oh. Right. And so then all of a sudden I'm seeing paleo chips. Like I'm pretty sure cavemen were not eating chips. Keto uh, cookies. I, I literally want to throw that thing. Right. Keto cookies, <laughs> keto ice cream. And a drum um, kick that thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now some people will be mad at me for saying this because veganism, veganism truly is an ethical motivation yeah. that comes from a place of love for the animals and wanting to protect the environment. And I love those things. I think it's wonderful, but that's different from plant-based where the motivation is human health, right? And the individual, and you can have both, but it has to be a plant-based diet where it's whole plant foods. And so the, the point that I'm trying to make is that like everything I see out there now has the label plant-based on it, oh my God. which actually means vegan, right. right? But that, and it means vegan. It means it's the absence of animal products. So like right. animals were not hurt in making this product, but like, this is not plant-based plant-based is that you grow it somewhere and then you cook mm-hmm. it. 
right? And it's not that you slice right. it, dice it, and you have food scientists that spend 18 months figuring out how they can create something that like literally tastes like a hamburger where I can deceive my father who doesn't know any better, right? With this, with this, um, with this meat alternative. And, um, but like, that's not to me plant-based. Plant-based. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. I mean, to like, or, or to take it even a step further simply because it's, it's, you know, we, we have clinically defined definition of plant, of plant-based eating patterns. Like you'll see that across research. You'll also see plant-based as defined by a certain company or number of companies, or you'll see things that say plant-based or talk about plant-based. And the implication is veganism, even if that's not necessarily what the actual practice is, but because it's an unregulated food claim or health claim rather on food product packaging, there's there's no 100% guarantee just right there. And then on the other side of that, it's also like, the whole idea behind this was to be able to find a word or or a, or two words in this case that felt like it was really close to what we were trying to get at which is more plants more often choosing more plant derived ingredients foods basing your meals off of more plants it doesn't right. even have to be so so to your point it can be a bur- it can be a real burger that's your mm-hmm. grass-fed beef or just your McDonald's cheeseburger but it just means that your whole approach to choosing those foods starts from a place of more plants more often and then the rest is sort of up to you but like i, I totally feel agree. like it's one of those co-opted marketing terms that's that's become like running wild and you're totally right about about um the kind of you know, there's a lot of different opinions that come out as a result of that and angry people that <laughs> seem yeah. to get angry about the about the idea. So I totally yeah. I totally get that. Well, and then so this is where it's like, you know, with gut health, gut health is real. OK, I'm going to give the, the second part of the question was an update on the science. So I'm going to give that. Yeah. Um, but like this is real. This yeah. is transforming the way that we think about human health. And this is the future. And I'll give you a few quick examples of what that looks like. Um, But uh, at the same time, there's going to be marketing campaigns and there's going to be like industries that are going to try to capitalize off of the energy and enthusiasm for something that is real. And what they are doing is not necessarily real. They're just trying to sort of hitch their wagon and take advantage of the fact that you've become interested in something that's like legitimately happening. So, and that's where I think, you know, part of it too, is I, I have um, basically like dedicated my career at this point to trying to provide high quality, honest sources of information to people using my education, my experience as a gastroenterologist, and just trying to put good stuff out there. And People can take it or they can leave it. But at the end of the day, like you do need good sources of information because I like when I go to the mechanic, I know nothing right, about cars. Right. Right. So I need someone that right. I can trust. And the same is true with our health because our health is so important right. to us. You know, it's also, it also calls into uh, or sort of brings to my mind the difference between, you know, seeing see like for example, you're no, I hope that no that no patient is coming to you to say, um, I'm here for my annual eye exam, right? Like, so you're you're hopefully going to the right person for the right thing, or at least 
the the right thing to start because maybe it turns out that in some strange yeah. thing that I've never yet heard of you do have an eye issue as a result of something GI related but perhaps you but like starting with going to a gastroenterologist for the sake of looking into or exploring what's going on with your own personal gut health. In other words, there's a huge difference between a practitioner and the advice that you'd get from a practitioner on on, in, on an individual basis versus what you get from reading a study or even reading the, the marketing of a study that comes in the form of a press release or some sort of um, direct-to-consumer marketing component. Hundred percent, and these these interactions that we have when we when we enter into the healthcare industry, whoever we are engaging with, whether it's a traditional you know medical doctor or not, at, at the end of the day, this is a relationship between two people, and this is not meant to be like one person telling the other person what they do. Instead, this is about like basically an interaction where we make each other better, we trust one another, and we try to elevate one another. Where the doctor is learning from the patient, the patient is learning from the doctor. And through that interaction, they both get better at what they do. And then people benefit as a result of that. So, um, you know, I think that that's, I think that's something that we just need to be very conscious of. And I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, one of the things we have to be very careful about these days is it's, you're going to find someone on the internet that will provide every single opinion. Right. Right. So if your goal is to um, basically validate the opinion that you already have, it's not hard to do that on the internet. And I don't blame you for doing it. Everyone, I think, does that to some degree. It's confirmation bias. But I, I think that we have to um, force ourselves to be conscious of this intrinsic lean towards confirmation bias and sort of challenge that and try to collect the right information so we can make informed choices for ourselves as opposed to you know sort of getting whipped around by bouncing from one person to another where they have like radical, crazy ideas. Right. Oh, so well said. So. That is so well said. And I really appreciate that. Okay. So on that, on that note, I want, I want to touch on something else from the book that I think is truly like it seeing this in print was so refreshing to me because I feel like not enough people are talking about this or saying this or getting this out into the open. So let's hear it from you, which is like often, and and I've thought about this a lot because I, I know like definitely I've had friends and colleagues and patients ask me, okay, so we talk about things and foods. And once you're, you're sort of informed enough about certain foods, right? You find out the X group of foods is is um, quote unquote good for gut health, right? And then these foods, because they happen to be so often high fiber foods, they can often be real triggers, like the initial triggers for people feeling kind of uncomfortable, like gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, all of all of that wonderful stuff. So yeah. can you break this down for us? Like what's happening? What does that mean? And What's your sort of a, your framework or approach for dealing with it? I mean, obviously, that's all of the good details are really in the book, and it goes the book goes through this in full detail about how to approach doing this on a personal level. But yeah, but give us the sort of background and context and and where this starts. Yeah, the book, the book, you know, part of the motivation, first of all, with this book is that I wrote my first book, Fiber Fueled, where I basically my my goal, and by the way, that was a pure passion project. Like I, I just felt like I needed to share the story with the yeah. world. And um, basically what I put out there was, let me tell you why gut health matters. 
yeah. and show you that what we're eating is not getting the job done. And right. we need to like, as a society, take a look in the mirror. Right. So, um, and many, afterwards, many people would come to my clinic or they would reach out to me through the internet and they would say, doctor, like I really want to eat the way that you're describing, but I am struggling. Yeah. And so like, I don't know if I can do this and I get it. <laughs> like, right. I, I totally get it. Um, and I think that the, one of the problems or challenges that we have here is the nuance that exists within this sort of conversation right? where it can be so much easier to just say, eliminate the food. Right. Right. And so true. The, the problem with that approach is that our gut basically responds and is fortified by what it's exposed to. Mm. Right. So just like with exercise, if you stop walking, your legs grow weaker. And it's actually, I've, Jackie, I've seen in the hospital, like people who are young and fit and they get something happens, they get sick. Right. And they're in the hospital in a bed for two weeks. And then they actually need physical therapy. Oh, to be absolutely. Walk, I mean, I used to right? work in acute rehab. It was like every day. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's actually quite shocking how quickly our body can get deconditioned. Yeah. Right. So conditioning is the process by which we can actually strengthen something. And like exercise is an example of conditioning mm. our body with, with plant food, mm -hmm. you know, the, um, challenge that exists is that the foods that I sincerely believe that we need the most also happen to be the foods that people will struggle the most to actually consume. Hmm. And if you read too deeply into that response, I eat and then I feel unwell. Yeah, It's like, I completely understand where the patient is coming from. They go, why am I going to eat that? That right. makes no sense to me. Right. But it's actually indicative of something that's going on underneath the hood mm. because a person doesn't feel that way unless they have a damaged gut. Yeah. And we need to repair that gut because when you repair that gut, your ability to consume that food will not be restricted. And yes. so this is conceptually similar, just to make an analogy to um, let's pretend that you were skiing mm. and you twisted your knee. Okay. Yes. And you have two choices, Jackie. All right. I'm here to present you with your two choices. Here's your first choice. If you stop walking, like permanently. Right. You will not feel pain in your knee. Right. So I can promise you, like, it's not going to hurt if you don't move. Right. Now, unfortunately, you will grow weaker, both above and below the knee. And um, because you're sedentary, you'll probably gain weight and have metabolic issues. And down the road, this will probably lead to bigger health issues. But I can, the good news is you don't have any pain in your knee. Right. Right. So flip side, uh, I can hook you up with a great physical therapist. And this going person is going to support you. <laughs> okay. You've already made your mind up. <laughs> this I'm person going is going to support you. And they're going to lift you up and they're going to guide you. And yes, in the process of rehabilitating your knee, it's going to hurt you like may hell. feel some discomfort. Yeah. Right. And so it's not necessarily easy, but you actually know what you're working towards. You're working towards an endpoint where not only is there no pain in the knee, but now you actually have full functionality of that leg 
and you can get back to playing tennis and playing sports this summer and swimming. And then next year, you're going to go skiing again, right? You get the function back. Yes. So everyone chooses option number two. So well said. Yeah. Right? So, and, but the problem is that what's happening with our gut is that when you have symptoms after eating food, these fiber rich foods, right? And this does exist. There is no doubt. And, but when you have those symptoms, that's indicative of a gut that has been damaged, just like a knee that has been damaged. And you can withdraw the food. And when you withdraw the food, this is functionally the equivalent of saying, I am not going to walk anymore. Yeah. And then the gut grows weaker. And because the gut grows weaker, your ability to reintroduce this food actually gets harder. And simultaneously, you will discover that you have other gut health issues that are now getting worse. So, and this is the problem is that like people have been sold this intuitive approach and I'm not against intuition in any way. I actually yeah. think that in many cases, intuition is fantastic, but there are times that exist where intuition can misguide us. Yes. And this is an example of that. Yes. Oh my God. I, I really like, I, I really feel like that analogy makes complete and perfect sense and is so, so absolutely true. And we see this happening all all the time. And I also feel like, and the other thing that, that you did a phenomenal job of, of saying in addressing this is that there are certain things that you can do while you're undergoing the gut physical therapy, if we might right. just coin the name of your third book. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna, just gonna say you can have it. I like the gut physical therapy concept a lot, um, but I I feel like it, like the idea of staying properly hydrated and and how you're reintroducing these foods into your everyday meals and snacks, or how you're gonna slowly kind of scale the physical activity of gut health, which would be increasing the amount of fiber that you're eating. And yeah. it's funny because it, it's really all over every nutrition textbook or nutrition area of nutrition research is like gradually incre gradual increase of fiber or gradual reintroduction of high fiber foods. And it's like, okay, I get that. Like people understand that concept. Like you can hear those words and they don't seem foreign to you, but what that actually looks like in real life really necessitates an analogy like the one that you just made. I feel like, like that, that's what makes it so perfectly well said. Yeah. Or we could go back to the beastie boys. And they actually had a song for us, low and slow is the tempo, low and slow is the tempo. <laughs> and you can probably tell by the cadence of what I'm doing there, that if you're a Beastie Boys fan, you know, this is from the eighties. This was not the nineties version. This right? is not nineties Beastie Boys. No, 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 this was eighties Beastie Boys where it was a little bit more of like a tempo thing. So low and slow is the tempo. Such a good song, by the way. So just to get into that a little bit more, you were once, you were somewhat recently seeing patients, um, in a, in a, in your own clinic that you had started. Is that right? That's yeah, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Up so until like, February 15th. Oh, wow. Oh my God. That recently. It's very recent. Wow. Yeah. It's very recent. Whoa. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote both of my books while taking call Q3, meaning that one out of three days for every, every 24 out of 72 hours, I was on call. And I've been doing that since, uh, 2016 up until February 15th. And so, and, and part of, you know, uh, the transition for me, there's a couple of things that have happened in my life. So one is that fiber fueled my first book. 
not only was the New York Times bestseller, but it has sold 200,000 copies. Amazing. And the amount of attention that you receive as an author is, I mean, it's great, but it's also proportional to the number of people who read your book. Yes. And so I'm like, people are like coming at me every single day and people are calling the office trying to get a hold of me. And, um, and it you're became scoping, very clear. You're doing, and you're, meanwhile, you're in a full scope and you're like, I, I can't, I can't come to the phone right now. I'm doing, oh, I mean, I, I did, I do the best I can, but no, I can't be <laughs> like, there are people who literally, it's, it's a funny world. People think that they can call you from out of nowhere and you'll give them an hour of your time, like on a random Tuesday, you know? So, but you know, nonetheless, you know, to me, um, for those that you don't really know that much about me, my dream has always been to be a medical doctor and to try to use that to help people. And so, cause it's kind of bizarre when they told me, like when my publisher called me to tell me that I was a New York times bestseller, they said it was the strangest reaction they'd ever seen. Cause most people jump with joy or they cry. And I was just kind of like stone faced, like what just happened, you know, like what the heck? <laughs> And um, the reason why is that it really sort of challenged my vision of who I think, of who I see myself as. Right. Because the plan was never to be an author. I don't see myself as an author. I still don't think of myself as an author. I think of myself as a doctor. Right. And so, but these books I see as opportunities to apply those tools and talents in a way that like the book becomes an extension of my medical practice right. and my ability to inform people and help them through something that I spend a year putting together meticulously. Right. Um, so, and there's just been this escalation where, you know, I went from like on this mission, very much driven by passion to help people starting one-on-one -on -one in a clinic, but then becoming an Instagram account mm -hmm. and then becoming a book. And then now like having opportunities to really try to touch millions of people. And one of the big changes that I made is that I also um, became involved with a company that I wholeheartedly believe in called Zoe. And what's cool about Zoe is that, so this is a personalized nutrition company. And just to explain what that is, one of the challenges you, you led off the entire show before we talked about Cutie, you led off the entire show mentioning that there is no one size fits all. And that we need to figure out a way to help individual people find something that works for them. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And um, that's part of the reason why, actually, if you dig into my books, what you'll find is that even though I'm presenting you plant-based options, I overtly say, I want you to make this your own. Yes. I want, I want you to feel free to modify and do what is right for you. And I don't expect you to meet to be a hundred percent plant-based. What I expect you to do is to consume this information. And my hope is that it, like, if it does not, then I have not successfully done my job. But if it does, if I'm doing my job, then I am motivating you to walk a path in the same direction that I'm walking. I want you to join me on this path, but how far along that path you go and how you choose to go about it is completely up to you. You can walk off the path and smell the flowers if you want to. That's perfectly fine, right? So, but, you know, the, the, I think the point is that um, I, I, I have tried to build in room for people to explore and make things their own and just kind of see that this is about meeting you where you are, but also guiding you towards something that could be better for you. Yes. Um, yes. Zoe, yes. as a company, is interesting because the challenge that we have 
is that the best that we have, the gold standard, mm. is a randomized controlled trial. Oh, preach. And in science, people freak out with joy about how great randomized controlled trials are. And they are good. But the problem is that they're so 20th century. I mean, right. I hate to say that. <laughs> oh, yes, they're so analog. They're so, right. they're so you know, like not 4K. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes. This is this is the twenty eight eight modem, right? right. Like, right. And, right. And it's like, yo, we've we've gone way beyond the twenty eight eight modem here. This. And yeah. so the the problem that we have is that, like, when you do a randomized trial, you're going to be looking at population averages. But Jackie, you're not average. I'm not average. The person listening to us at home is not average. How can we expect the population averages to really truly show us the path? of what's best for us on an individual basis. Right. And what we see is that you could give two people, they could be literally identical twins, identical twins, and you could feed them the exact same food and you will see a different response. Right. And that's in part because we've been talking about how important the gut microbiome is. Yeah. And those identical twins, they only share about 37% of the same microbes. Wow. So they may be radically different in terms of their gut microbiome. That's so interesting. Yeah. That part, I mean, you know, you hear a lot, there's a lot out there about twins, but like that one, that's a new one. 37% of shared, of similar or the same gut microbiome. Like of, the, similar, of similar microbes, okay. yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So the majority of their microbes are actually completely different. And, you know, like your gut microbiome, Jackie, there are 8 billion mm -hmm. people on this planet. And I can assure you, you're the only one who has a microbiome exactly like you. It's completely distinct, completely personal, right? I'm just so, happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and if, and if it does connect to our digestion and our immune system and our metabolism and our hormones and our mood and our brain health and the expression of our genetic code, if it does all those things, then that unique individual gut microbiome can become a source for us to understand better how mm. to optimize our bio individuality. Yes. And so what we're trying to do with Zoe is it's an interesting concept that is called citizen science. Mm. We're not the first ones to do citizen science. I think we're just doing it bigger and grander. Mm. And so what we do is we invite people who are interested in having their personal nutrition uh, interpreted for them. And they can submit and receive a kit where they will do basically a microbiome specimen. They'll wear a continuous glucose monitor that's measuring your blood sugar around the clock, get your blood lipids checked, and then you enter into an app what you're eating. And when we have, like right now, we have more than 20,000 people that have done this, but someday we'll have 100,000 and someday we'll have a million. Right. And as more and more people start signing up and doing this, all of this information goes into a computer yeah. and these supercomputers run complex machine learning algorithms that go beyond population averages where they can look at you as a unique individual, look at your microbiome, your response to specific foods in terms of your blood sugar, your blood lipids. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden we can say, Jackie, for you specifically, these are the foods that we can eat to optimize yeah. your metabolism. And then it takes the guesswork away. Wow. Yeah. When you, so in, so in starting out in this, where has there been something that, that from, from what you've kind of gathered from the, from the existing research with what you've learned since joining Zoe, have you, is, 
Is there anything that really surprised you? Like, have you seen something that you're like, huh, I wonder what's happening? I mean, and that could be an actual data point, like X amount of, you know, um, cruciferous vegetables a day. It looks like it's doing Y, which is also here. looks like it's reducing risk of um, lifestyle related cancers and, and therefore that really supports what we're already seeing in our own data? Or is there something like that's not actually data related that doesn't support something, but that you're thinking, hmm, I wonder why that is. Like, is there anything that's come up so far that's made you think, I got to look more into that, or I'm excited to see what the next round of data gathering show? Um, So we are, first of all, like we are up to our gills in medical research and like we have more studies that we want to do than we have people to do them. And we have published, um, I believe 40 papers in the last two years using the information from Zoe. And we're talking about literally the top journals on the planet. We have multiple papers in nature medicine and nature medicine is the hardest journal to publish in. Uh, like literally if we find the cure for cancer, that's where you'll see it published is in nature <laughs> right. medicine. So, and, um, and, and so one of the things that's very exciting is that with this company Zoe, so an individual user then taps into this power that we have created through citizen science where, you know, 20,000 people are helping us to make this possible. And, um, and there's this like social good that takes place where a person that's in the UK can be helping me and I could be helping someone who's in New York, right? And but what's interesting is that then when people like truly engage with this, they actually don't need to restrict their diet at all, right? Right? They can actually eat everything that you and I are promoting, which is like to open up and to be abundant mm. and to find great pleasure and great joy in your food, and not to eliminate anything, even the unhealthy stuff. But instead to just kind of level up those choices with it being informed by your unique biology right? and by leveling up those choices and gravitating, like not in a perfectionistic way at all, right? but instead just, just kind of using the information to almost even unconsciously like, okay, like I'm going to choose this. And, um, we're discovering that instantly people are feeling energized Right. Like they literally feel energy, um, you know, coursing through their veins and they're losing weight. And even if they don't intend to, they're basically getting their metabolism into alignment because now they're actually like their diet is in alignment with their body. And so then it allows the engine to run perfectly. Right. Right. Wow. So, so good. I mean, I also just love the idea of citizen science. I just think that that's so powerful because I think so many of us are, you know, are so often looking for solutions that can help us not only to feel better on a personal level, but to also just make a a choice that feels um like it means something, you know, for lack of a better it's sort of like a lack of a better word, but I I would say that I I feel like a lot of the time, you know, when knowing that you have so much choice when it comes to where you're going to spend time, where you're going to spend money, how you're going to, you know, make certain decisions, it it's it's a great feeling to think like, okay, participating in X means that I might be able to automatically simply by entering into this study help someone else across the world. I feel like that's 
that's also a uniquely powerful component. Well, again, this is like, to me, this is very, this is, this is we're moving into a new era of research, right? So the old era, like the 20th century was like, we'll, we'll do a randomized control trial and that will be funded either by the pharmaceutical company that's yes. going to profit off of it. Right. Or, or if we're lucky, we can fight tooth and nail to try to get the NIH to support some smaller study, right? And like even small studies cost millions of dollars. So the NIH doesn't have this huge budget for us to be doing big, powerful studies. So, and now here we are, and it's like, this is the 21st century of research. We are now moving into personalized nutrition. We are moving beyond the clinical trial, moving beyond population averages. And simultaneously, we're through us collaboratively working together, all of us. Like, yes, we have great scientists who are a part of this, but these great scientists can't do anything if you guys don't help us. Right. 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 But through through this citizen science concept, every single person plays a role in working towards this greater good where we're all contributing to something that can be so powerful. So even if you don't ever do Zoe, the fact that Zoe exists has already produced 40 major publications that are helping to inform the choices that we make in our own health. And you can benefit from that. That's huge. But on, which is really cool. But on the flip side, like there are commercially available products that are being marketed to you literally right now that cost $600. And if you go to their website, they will claim they have science. But if you ask them, show me the paper where you use your actual product, oh. show me the paper and they won't have even one. Right? right. And that costs $600. And on the flip side for a fraction of that with Zoe, you can be like a huge part of what you're paying for is the technology and the equipment, but everyone, by everyone chipping in, we don't have to be holding to the pharmaceutical industry and their money and their power. We don't have to be holding to the limitations of the budget of the NIH. Instead, we can say, this is important for all of us as a society. We want this, yeah. right? We want to be informed. We want to be able to make smarter choices for ourselves as on an individual basis. And so with that in mind, we're all going to do our part to try to chip in in one way or another to make this possible. So that's what's, that to me is what's really cool is it's only possible because of this concept of something bigger yes. and socially valuable. Yes. Yes. I also, I, it also reminded me as you're, as you're saying that, it also reminded me of something that I found myself saying a lot, which is definitely controversial in many other in many other areas, many circles, which is that there always there's always a catch if it's proven. Like when you, the P word is like a trigger word. It's, it's like my trigger word because I'm like, uh, yeah, in one trial with 20 people that are a specific population that they're you know men in their 60s and you are right. a woman that is 18, right? Like that these right. things they just don't they they don't line up. So like you can say proven as long as you have your own trial or your own clinical data to back it up, but you can't say proven for you. And like the, right. that idea I think is is really meaningful and this really speaks to that. Yeah, totally. I think that's one of the that's one of the things that if you weren't like literally a scientist, you wouldn't necessarily realize that one study, if it's a, if like it, it literally could even be people that are pretty similar to you, but it could be a population on the other side of the world in a different culture. Right. And even that is like not directly applicable to you. And so that's part of the challenge that exists. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay. So one thing that you wrote that actually is sort of a nice pivot for, for us right now is the diverse, is that you said you use this phrase diversity of plants. Yeah. I feel like that's its own little mic drop right there. Diversity of plants. Beautiful. 
What does it mean exactly? What does it mean? Tell us, what does that mean? It just means more inclusivity when it comes to plant, actual plant foods. <laughs> yeah, well, so let's get back to, um, we'll move away from um, the Zoe conversation for a moment and let's get yeah. back to where we were with the food industry, yes. which is that the food yes. industry is, for, is like designed for profit of themselves. Catch and when it's proven, for profit if it's food, Yes, big food. Right. And when it comes to plant foods, 75% of the calories that exist come from three plants. Yeah. Right? So um, soy, wheat, and corn. That's literally yes. 75% of the calories that you'll find in your supermarket for, in terms of plant calories. So th this is problematic because the food industry is not going to do this for you. If anything, they're trying to lure you towards foods that are restricting diversity within your diet. But if you go back through time, we always ate a diverse, abundant diet as humans. So right. for people who enjoy sort of like, you know, an ancestral concept, right? well, you know, our, our ancestors, they were hunters and gatherers, but like the majority of their calories, depending on which population you're looking at, the, most of the time they were foraging and they were looking for things that they could eat and they had tremendous variety. So they basically like didn't have a supermarket where there were 10 different foods. Right. They were just kind of eating everything. Right. And that could be like hundreds of different foods. So anyway, um, what's interesting about this is that our gut microbiome is highly adaptable. Mm. So you can throw a lot of different things at it and it will adjust to whatever it is that you're throwing at it. But it's important to understand that at its essence, this is a ecosystem, just like the Amazon rainforest, yeah. made up of all of these individual players, these microbes, mostly bacteria, but also fungi. So at its essence, the gut microbiome is um, really, it's an ecosystem and it's this community that's made up of all of these different types of microbes that include bacteria and fungi and these things called archaea that have been on our planet for 4 billion years, uh, literally the first life on the planet. And in some cases, parasites, by the way, not all parasites are bad. Some of them are actually good and also viruses. So all of this comes together and it creates an ecosystem in the same way that like New York is an ecosystem or Charleston is an ecosystem, right? And we're all living in harmony and in balance. And so with regard to these microbes, we need to see and understand that even though they're invisible to us, they are as alive as you and I are. They have their own skills, their own talents, their own personality, their own dietary preferences. They have their own dietary preferences. And that's one of the keys is that they don't all eat the same food. So it's not just like quite simply consume calories and then these microbes feast. We have to make sure that they are being properly fed and different microbes like different plants. So when we consume a wide variety of plants, they have the fiber and the polyphenols and the resistant starches. And these are the prebiotics that feed and nourish these microbes. So variety of plants in the diet, diversity of plants translates into a diversity of microbes being fed. And when they are fed, they are energized, they grow stronger, and they become more capable of doing their job, which is actually to support you, the healthy human. Right. So let's say, let's say that you are someone who is living off of 
I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna pick on any one specific. Let's just say most of your meals come from a fast food drive-through and they are very meat focused, right? And there's no, and by the way, there's plenty of choice. I've written tons and spoken tons about the, there's lots of different ways to hack some of those menus. So there's plenty of good stuff at fast food, but let's just say that like you're choosing all burgers all the time. Where, what would be your sort of starting spot? What would be your like pro tip? This is what I'd want you to do tomorrow. Okay. This is so easy for me to answer because this is literally my life. This is literally what happened to me. So no, I'm not kidding. Uh, like, I don't know if you realize. So if you went back 10 years ago, I was living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And my typical, my typical lunch was Chick-fil-A and my oh, typical dinner. Great stuff yeah. at Chick-fil-A, by the way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I can and, see, I can see how it can, I can see how it can get crazy quickly. So oh, yes. I mean, I would go there and I knew they knew me very well and I would go there and there are things that are not even on the menu that I would have them create for me. I'm not kidding. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So like you can, um, you can actually go and if you ask at breakfast, they have like, you know, the spicy Cajun filet or whatever. Right. So it's like a, it's a chicken, spicy chicken on a biscuit. So why would go and be like, look, can you hook me up with some egg and cheese on that? That sounds and, phenomenal. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and they would be like, <laughs> they're kind of like their eyes would bug out. They'd be like, "Yeah, we can." And, and we so, will. anyway, um, that's kind of the way that I was eating. And my dinner was often Hardee's. Like I was in North Carolina, so Hardee's is like, you know, it's quite amazing how much they'll give you for four dollars. Like it was like a double cheeseburger, a chili cheese dog, fries, a, a beverage, and also an apple pie, all for four bucks. <laughs> Yeah. Damn. So yeah. Well, and Hardies. so there I was, and I was like in my early 30s, and I was valuing convenience because I kind of mm. needed to. Yeah. Right. Because I was working so hard. Right. And you know, at that point in my life, it's like, look, I don't want to cook. And I want to enjoy the food that I eat. Yeah. And like I kind of saw myself as invincible because when I was 18 or you know, in my in college, I mean, I could eat whatever I wanted to eat and I would. I would be okay. Right. Right. And it's like, but then one day you wake up and you're in your thirties and you feel like you're way older than that. Right. <laughs> and you look in the mirror and you're like, that's not me. Right. Who's, that, who's this 50 pounds? Who's this guy who's 50 pounds overweight with his gut sagging over his belt? Who's this guy with the blood pressure pills on the sink? Right. The anxiety, the extremely low self-esteem, even though things are going well in your life. Yeah. Right. And you, and that, that's where I was and I needed my life to change. And I actually tried exercising my way out of it and it did not work. Um, I could grow stronger. I could be faster or like swim really efficiently, but I, I could not lose the gut. What I decided is to just take small steps. Yes. Not big steps. And right. I started by first making a smoothie for dinner. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, that's a start. That's a curious. That's a very interesting start. Okay, dip to toe. Well, started a, started so, with a blender. Yeah, with a blender. Because the <laughs> the great thing is this. Like, so, all right. So traditionally, I would stop at Hardee's on the way home. It's just down the street from my apartment in Chapel Hill. So now, instead of going to Hardee's, I run over to the supermarket. I grab just like literally some veggies, you know, like some spinach, and um, maybe some broccoli sprouts. And then 
grab the fruit that I like and some bananas and go home and just throw it in the blender. Okay. Press the button. I love this. And here's what I love about it. I love that you took the same exact routine that you already had in place and you were like, I'm just swapping the location from where I'm getting these ingredients. And now I'm just going to take them home and do the easiest possible thing, which is to throw them into the blender, which, I mean, you could say the same thing about, let's say, you know, you get the veggies home and now maybe it's a stir fry for a different night. But I love that you just changed the location was the only change. Like you weren't, you didn't go all in on like, I'm going to just make this sweeping change. But you started with one meal and the, the small swap was, where is my dinner coming from? Yeah, I was tired. I didn't want to go right. home and do it. Like, I have to cook a big meal, right? And I'm just right. cooking for one. It's just me, this like, you know, single dude in his 30s, right? right? But um, but I did want to explore the possibility of making changes to my diet and seeing how that would affect my body and my health. Yeah. And the smoothie was a great way for me to get, um, you know, a plant-based thing in there in a way that I actually enjoyed. Yeah. And that was easy to pull off, right? Because it's like, I don't even need a recipe. I'm just throwing the stuff I like into this blender and then pressing a button. So anyway, and when I did this, so good. it was like amazing how instantly my energy levels were just through the roof. Amazing. And I actually had the uh, ability, like previously, it would be eat dinner and then lay around and watch TV for three hours and then go to bed. Right. But now yeah. it's like, do my smoothie thing. Mm. And then, yo, let's go to the gym. Right. <laughs> right? And so <laughs> now I'm at the gym. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm smashing workouts like an hour right. later. Right. You know? Yeah. And um, and then over this was not an instantaneous thing. The energy came instantly. But then my skin started to clear up, my hair started getting thicker. Um, and I also um noticed over the course of like months that weight was like my clothes were not fitting me the same way and the weight was melting off the body and now all of a sudden it's like you feel like you're having a coming out party where it's like i feel like the the young vibrant alive confident man that i deserve to be yes right and it's so it was so to just to kind of round this out, Jackie, it was so transformative for me yeah. that I asked questions because I'm trained at great institutions. I did mm. Georgetown for med school, Northwestern for my residency, the University of North Carolina for my GI fellowship. Mm. So, and then I start to question, like, look, this is these are great, like some of America's top hospitals. Yeah. Why was I not taught this? Right. Yeah. And um, so it made me not in any way skeptical of healthcare, more right. so seeing the deficiencies of healthcare. Right. It's almost like when you become older and you look at your parents and you say, I used to think they were perfect. Totally. And now I understand that they're not perfect. Right. But they're great. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. No, that is, that is perfectly, perfectly said. It's true. I mean, we can't, right. Like it's like you, you think of med school, I think the average person also often gets this idea about what medical institutions should be. And then you realize that actually, like there are only still 24 hours in every single day right. <laughs> everywhere for all of us. Okay. Let's say, so this is our, this is our sort of like very standard 
it's it's our last main it's our last big question for the pod okay. which is that like let's let's just assume that elon musk is calling tomorrow and he says dr b i need you to do my next colonoscopy number one are you available i'll i'll pay i'll pay you a lot of money <laughs> but i'd like to do it in space we're gonna go to space together we're gonna do it on my on my space station, whatever, my spaceship, however he's going. I don't know. He's just been doing that recently. It feels like it's gratuitous, but okay. Okay. So let's say that's happening. What's going to be your meal, your go-to meal the day before you're leaving tomorrow? What's on the menu? What's your, what's your meal? If you had sort of a last meal before space, what are you having? Oh gosh, this is such a uh, interesting hypothetical. There was a weird backstory behind. Yeah, I don't know. It really has evolved a lot over time. Yes. Ne- totally next time I come on the show, could it involve a rap video of some variety? A hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> it will. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, man. I, I so first of all, I love food. I love food, and I think my favorite is okay let me just this is probably a little bit of um recency bias because i literally just that's okay because because you'll come back that's that is even better because i like when it's like a sort of contextualized example otherwise i feel like the question frankly is too hard if we try to take it out further than basically 48 hours (laughs) yeah i just had this for lunch but there is this place in town that makes a like really delicious vietnamese salad whoa What's the name of this place? Just tell us. Just tell, just let's just give them a shout out. What's it called? Uh, so it's called Bon Bon Me, B O N Bon. Um, Wait, interestingly, I feel like I've heard of this place in Charleston. Okay, okay, Bon Bon. So Bon me. in French means good, yeah. right? And Bon Me is the Vietnamese sandwich, B A B A N H M I. So Bon Bon Me. I got to get this bon bon me Vietnamese salad. Are you kidding? This, I need this. This is what my dinner is going to be inspired by this. Okay. This was everything. And I cannot thank you enough. This was such a great chat. I'm so happy that you spent so much time here with me. Tell everybody where they can find the book and you. You can find this book anywhere that major books are sold. Um, and then you can find me on social media, both Instagram and Facebook as the Gut Health MD. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is the best. Love it. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. 
Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.